0: Today's guest is coach Nathan Chapman, a.k.a. Chappie. Chappie takes us through he and Johnny Smith's journey from Aussie rules football to the NFL to founding Pro Kick Australia, the main reason for the wave of Aussie punters coming into U.S. college and NFL football. Chappie could not have been more giving of his time, candor, and story. Enjoy.
1: Played. um, I played professionally in Australia for um AFL Aussie rules kicking um uh, you know AFL uh we kick a ball um and I guess my journey was it was you know an introduction about doing a trip to America um just on a you yeah, know an Aussie rules what we call a football trip and I'm not sure whether it's it's done in the US too much but we we we'll say back in the day we would do a thing called a football trip so at the end of the season you know your whole team or whoever could go would would go to a location and you know you've been strict and you've been isolated and dedicated for for what would be the better part of 10 months um it was a chance to to sort of let your hair down and relax and sometimes you'd go somewhere locally sometimes you'd go overseas so i think in 1990 uh four or five. We we took a trip to the US. Um, I guess had my first introduction to American football. We went and watched a game of football with um, when Darren Bennett was across there at the Chargers and then just seemed to think that oh maybe one day I could possibly do it. So uh my AFL career lasted eight years. It was finished earlier than I thought. Uh, and I thought, well I needed a buzz and I needed that adrenaline rush of com, you know, competing. Um, what am I gonna do? So um yeah, I had a few hair brain ideas and I thought, all right, I'm gonna open a hot dog van and a donut van. I'm gonna um <laughs> or I was gonna be a pro golfer. It was like, what am I gonna do? <laughs> and then um and then interestingly enough, um, you know, got in got into the punting. So that's where it all started, you know, way back then, but it, it, sort, it sort of wasn't until You know, 2001 where I I really started to to train for it and see where it could lead me.
0: Now, who did you
1: link up with as a mentor
0: or coach to first teach you the difference or to kind of first teach you how to pawn or or to get you into the American game?
1: Yeah. um, Well, I I taught myself how to kick a ball for, again, and I could kick. So I was like, I just did what I did. And then when I thought, okay, I need to get to America, I'd sent a number of videos, VHS tape, by the way, Uh, back in the (laughs) day by by, by mail. um, You know, the big VHS cassette tape. um, Sent that to America and I'd sent it to a few places um, and I got a return message from Rick Sang. Now, Rick Owns prokicker.com. Um, and I think if you watch any of our you know social media, we um, we've either got I think I wear a pro kicker t shirt more, <laughs> more than I wear my pro kick t shirt, right? Um, and he sort of said, Hey man, you got a leg, you need to, you probably should think about doing this. Got in touch, went across, went to one of his camps. Uh, came back and trained for 12 months, went back the next year, um, ready to go to another camp. And I said, and he he thought I was crazy, but it was like, hey, Rick, I think I want to play in the NFL. (laughs) And he said, all right, I'm not sure if I can help you, but why don't you go off and um, go to one of these, uh, a different camp? They get more exposure to the NFL. We, We help kids through high school and college. And so it was just through his honesty and, and coaching and meeting Ray Guy. Um, I did a trip with my brother Todd uh, in 2003, I believe it was. and then um, that sort of got it all started. So got a few lessons, came back and then I thought, well, this is how they do it. I'll have a bit of a bit of a hybrid, yeah? what I normally do versus what they expect you to do from an American kick. Um, and that's pretty much um, that's pretty much where it started from my journey. To wanting to play in the NFL again, um, we had a guy back here um, who um, his name came up the other day. Actually, I'm not just not I'm just not going to mention it. <laughs> what his name is? Um, he still. It was an American guy played college football, uh, worked in the U, in the US, and then came to Australia. Um, and he was sort of acting like a bit of a conduit between America and Australia. Uh, and I gave him some videos and on this video i was kicking i'd kicked a number of balls over 5 seconds you yeah, know 5 seconds 50 60 yards and i think my best kick was like a 60 yard 5.3 second kick and i didn't even know what i was doing i was just kicking the ball brand new brand new nfl balls out of the, out of the packet but i was pretty naive and i just kicked it so i could you know again without making it sound stupid i could kick a football um Anyway, I would, I'd given him, I think I gave him about 60 or 70 of these tapes to send to his contacts. And he sent them across, and then all of a sudden, after six months, 12 months, no reply. No college wanted to know. And I'm thinking, gee, this college is pretty hard to get into. I thought I could kick a ball, but they must be really good. So if you think in 2003, a college coach, wouldn't want someone kicking 60 yards at five two. now I'd go you crazy bugger. Um, and anyway, so it did look, it was like two, two to three years of chasing my own tail, asking him to do something and he didn't do it. Right. Um, then I finally got a phone call from, uh, Oh, look, something happened. There was a coach who was got contacted, a coach from Green Bay. Um, who was in touch with someone in Australia at one of my old football teams and and one of my colleagues, uh, colleagues, one of my uh, very good friends, Justin Lepich, who I played with and got drafted with in the AFL had spoken and said, Hey man, look, and there's this guy from the Green Bay Packers. He was out. Um, You should, you should uh, get in touch. Anyway, turns out it was John Dorsey. Now John Dorsey, famous name at Green Bay went on, obviously, you know, at the Browns and uh, yeah, what a great what a great story and um you know for what he's become where he's come, he was basically the first contact I had at Green Bay. Um so yeah, got in touch with him, he saw the tape, said, Yep, uh let's go. Got him I was on a plane to go and to take my uh, uh wife and daughter in two thousand and four to Disneyland. Um and two weeks before we left, uh, he got the video and said, yeah, we'd like to see you. So the trip got changed from going to Disneyland to going up to Green Bay. And that was it. Oh, you're, your it family worked. must have been so happy. <laughs> oh, well, well, they wanted to go to Disneyland. They had no idea. Yeah, they didn't really grasp what, what it was about. So um, we spent two weeks in Green Bay, um, it, and which is really weird. Had a It was a 30-hour trip. Got to Green Bay, woke up in the morning. Uh, got there at 11 o'clock at night. Got picked up at six a.m. By, by Reggie McKenzie, who's obviously, you know, um, been throughout the league as well, and um, you know, been a great leader there. Uh, and then Reggie yeah, picked me up. We had a bit of a, a little bit of a kick that morning, so I was pretty jet lagged. And then the next morning at seven o'clock, went in for a workout. So it was, it was pretty quick. Um, you know quite the whirlwind and um and got sort of signed that day so spent two weeks in green bay and then went to and then went to Disneyland, and then went home for a couple of weeks after that so yeah, it was interesting <laughs> what was it like to work with ray guy
0: because i know he obviously he works with um pro kicker but he doesn't put a lot out there on social media necessarily so he kind of is this mythical figure in the punting world what was he like as yeah. a coach and what was he like as like a
1: mentor for you. Um, yeah, well, it's interesting because, like, it's one of those things where, and hey, let's let's talk. No, well, we don't talk about the pink elephant in the room. But know, yeah, people sort of go, you know, hey, we we go and visit Ray Guy when um, so the camps that he works with. So it used to be called the Ray Guy Punting academy. You know, Ray Guy kicking camps, um, and. After a few years, it had changed to, to prokicker.com. Um, as you know, I guess as Ray probably, as he's getting older, didn't really want to travel around the country and you know, be in a car and do 30, 50, 70 camps a year. It was obviously pretty tough for him to do. So he now does uh, one or two camps. So, again, I'm he might he might do a couple more, but he he doesn't do that many camps, and he doesn't in Hattiesburg. Um, and so, ever since meeting him, and he was sort of I guess the first, and I, to be honest, I probably didn't realise at the time who I was meeting. I knew, um, and and I've got a yeah a really strong uh, connection with with Rick Singh who runs the camps. Um, and he's always he's always um really helped with uh, I guess in terms of Rick and being able to mentor how to set up a kicking program he'd been doing it for 25 30 years so he knew how and um and to have ray and um yeah you know, to have ray probably teach me the first things i i knew about punting it probably wasn't until 10 years later where I really appreciated and still have the phone call. Uh, sorry, the phone call. Still have the picture of the first time I met him. Um, I've got a picture there with my brother and, and Ray. And he's a, <laughs> I just remember looking at him, shaking his hand and thinking, man, you have hands that big. Like you're a big potato farmer. Your hands are they're, they're big, they're strong, <laughs> they're hey. thick, the fingers are thick. And I was, sort of in awe of uh, I didn't realize I was in awe of what he'd done or achieved but again and, and the more I look back obviously it, it sort of resonates a lot more with me um, I think a lot of people make, don't
0: realize that yeah. his, his hands his handwork was probably better than his leg
1: yeah and and he's um, I guess his his nature as well he had a really good nature about and I think there's got to be a real calmness about to be a punter, kicker, specialist in the NFL. You've re- and probably to a degree, to degree, a quarterback as well, but having real calm nature about being able to deal with um, the pressures, having the confidence, having the self-confidence, but also having a calmness about yourself to know that every time you do something, it can be good or it can be bad, but you've got to move on to the next one. Um it sort of really struck out in his demeanour and the way he spoke. And now that might've just been his straight up Southerness and and coming from, you know, Southern Mississippi, that might've also been a part of it. But we'd really made a point of, for the lack of knowledge that our students in Australia have of the game, I, I made a, I basically made a promise to, you know, to myself and Johnny Smith, who obviously I work with. Oh, Johnny's great. We are, we are going to go. Like, we do a trip every year throughout the USA, and we and we we take a group of current guys across who we're training. Remember, some of them have never been to America. Every one of them have never played a game of American football before, and we think, "Well, what do we need to teach them? How are we going to make them better?" And a part of that is we are going to go to Hattiesburg every year. If that's the only camp that Ray Guy does, we are going to take every one of our students who's able to come on our trip to Hattiesburg to meet the guy who's put punting on the map, who people talk about and rave about and the awards named after to say, and you know what we're not we're not going to bypass history and we and we're going to we're going to demand and I think you'll find out through the more we talk about the way we train out guys is you are not going to take a shortcut to being good at this game there were people before you there were people better than you and you need to have a knowledge of it and you need to know why this position is so important you need to know so if we get an opportunity To meet him then yeah they may not take it fully in for a few years but then one day they will and and so we we just make a real point of of getting to Hattiesburg to make sure that they they shake hands with with Ray Guy and that's why we go there um it's 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 a really important part of what we feel is our development of our our group um and the way we teach our guys to, you know, as fun as much fun as they have, to remain humble and to and to really go, hey, wow, well, I'm I'm meeting someone of huge importance to the game, um, and that's and that's why we do it. And and Rick Rick who who runs a great program, I, and I I love the way Rick goes about it. Why? Because he's all about helping the kids, and he's all about making them better. And it's all about, it's all about how are you going to get better and be a good human and how are you going to work hard at your craft? And if you do those things well, then, you know, success may come to you. So I just really like the way they've handled it. So, which is, which is why we keep going there. Cause we feel like that's got a real similarity to the way we want to, we want to run our program.
0: And I think it's interesting that you, you almost have this reverence for the history, not only to get better at the position, but for the history of the position as well. If you look at, I had uh, Tiff Joe on here once, uh, who's a golfer for the LPGA. And their their motto in golf is leave the sport better than when you found it or, or protect the sport for the next generation or something like that. And I, th- yeah. I think in football, or maybe in football it's there, but I, I think for kicking and punting and snapping, there isn't, as much awareness about the history, uh, behind the position. Um, yeah. now when you, when you talk about transitioning from something like Australian rules football to American football, the American stereotype is, oh, it's the same thing, you know, um, or we, you know, Americans, we have this, <laughs> we have this kind of, self-centric bubble where we just think kicking is kicking um and there's not really a lot of sports in the united states that has that motion of catching a ball and setting it and then kicking it unless you kind of grew up playing rugby in some parts of the country could you talk about the differences or challenges between or like what is the one thing a lot of americans don't get about the difficulties of transitioning your guys from australian rules football to kicking a u.s football
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, And that's, I think that's a really good question. And I hope, I hope we get the point across here about, about what we do. We grow up kicking a ball. Um, Let me just say we grow up kicking a football with a certain mechanic. And it's typically on the run or it's, you've got seven, nine, ten steps before you kick it. But 99% of it's on the run. We've, we then had to transfer that ability to have a natural feel for the ball dropping from our hand to our foot and hitting a target just like a quarterback. hits a wide receiver. So there was a real basic instinct of what we needed to do to be able to get the, the ball from point A to B. Now, 14 years ago when we started and when the college coaches looked at us and looked at the film we produced, we had to look as American as we could just so they could recognize what we were doing and so that they felt comfortable taking a chance on a kid from Australia who'd never played the game before, but they had to feel familiar with the way it looked. So initially when we started, we had to be, we had to do it exactly and mimic a young American or whoever was punting the ball well. We had to look like an American punter so that the coaches would look at our film. Um, It's almost like, and to a degree it is, uh, if you saw a pure kicker, field goal kicker, kickoff guy, who punts, you will see that there, sorry, a, a, a kickoff guy, um, field goal kicker who ends up doing some punting, you will notice there will be a different style when it comes to punting. They might have a very strong leg, they can boot it, but there will be a different technique in the way they adjust their body and the way they move their hips and the the um, the trajectory or the, the shape of their leg when they kick the ball to try and get the power. Why? Because it's sort of they get their power through having a movement like kicking the field goal or kicking a right. the kickoff. There's a bit of a hybrid between the two. So when it came to early on, we had to be... Guys who kicked on the run had a natural style or fluent motion of kicking the ball, but then we had to make it look like an American guy straight leg, straight up, right Right. leg under the right eye. It followed through, and I'm like, it's that classic red guy look. Yeah, (laughs) and it's like, this is so hard. If you're, if and especially, especially when, let's say, for guys, we start playing our game over here at five, six years of age. We then, at 17, 18, 19, we basically had to change 15 years of muscle memory
0: to That's make it look,
1: which is not easy, which takes time. So so when we talk about um, kicking a football, yes, our natural stuff is what we would say is the Aussie kick, the kick on the run, the and I dare not say it because I hate the word, the rugby kick, It's not a rugby a You don't even play Uh, rugby. Right, Right, exactly. So um, the Aussie kick is natural for us and we can kick it wherever and that's great. The spiral, the spiral is done in the Australian game 0.0001% of the time. It's never done. So for when our guys need to, and initially and early on needed to learn the spiral, the amount of work that we have to do to get the muscle memory right, to hit a perfect spiral is astronomical. And, and if there's any, if there's anything that, you know, the point we're trying to get across is we have to work so hard to take away and have the hybrid between what our natural kick is to the spiral because as every punter will know, if you miss, if you miss the spot by half an inch, left or right, up or down, nose up, nose down, leg on which angle, whatever wind condition, if you drop it in the wrong spot by half an inch anywhere, it can be a very, very, very ordinary-looking kick. So, if you now think of um, the purity the softness, the release, the calmness of your hand, the ball being flat in a spot. There's no movement. There's nothing. If you think of how hard we have to work to go between having a running action a running action violently, moving the ball up and down and pushing it down towards our foot to hit it at a very low spot with the nose right down pointed towards the ground, which is the Aussie kick, to then – the very next kick, catching it, being very calm, placing, in it, placing it out in front of us very softly on the perfect angle <laughs> and then drive up and hit the sweet spot. It's, it is so hard to go between the two. And, um, you yeah, so, know, so to, I guess, to work between, you know, and having, having whether it be coaches or students or players realise how much work goes into perfecting each craft of the drop punt, which is the Aussie kick or the spiral. And we, work, we have to work really hard at it. And we've, I think over the years, as we got more players into college, we've now learnt to have a bit of a hybrid of the two. Um, and we have some players who have a beautiful natural leg that goes straight up and we'll technically call them a, a, a big spiral kick. And we have some who don't like to drive their leg up straight leg and straight high, and they kick around their body a little bit, we've got to manipulate that a a touch, again, to have that hybrid. So we sort of work individually with each guy. What are their strengths? And then try and maximise what they can, rather than go, this is a cookie cutter. Um, You must have straight leg, straight up. You know, it sort of takes away from our game. So I think over the years, as we've now needed to go between the spiral and the rollout at college, and please, every American kicker, Punter, learn to do it because it'll help you. Um, yeah, you know, it's sort of now a bit of a hybrid between the two, which allows us to probably feel a little bit more natural with it. Right, and I think it's
0: it's interesting that you you build backwards from the the swing mechanics that works best for each guy. Like there, there really is no cookie cutter approach. Um, and so when you just to go a little bit further, Americans don't see much difference between rugby and Aussie rules football is why does that – I'm just curious for fun. Why does that tick you off when somebody calls it the rugby kick? What is the difference between – can you explain, like, the one or two big differences between rugby and Aussie rules football? Um,
1: um It's a different game with a different skill level and a different outcome. So I'm not going to – this is – I don't think this is a very good example. Um But it's basically saying that <clears> – <throat> the american kicker must have got to have been a soccer player and football is football no no this is football this is our football you know you tell her so i just think there's 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 i think the annoyance comes with um i think the annoyance comes with if you call it rugby and what your version of rugby is I don't think I don't think you've done your due diligence in knowing the difference and therefore your naive perception of what we do is limited. And so when people call say this is a rugby kick and probably the, the origins came from a rugby style kick you'd sort of take one step to the side and you'd kick it and it would be a bit of a falling fall, forward rolling tumble kick. I agree with that. I've got no issue with the orange of origins of where it started, but when the Australian guys started coming into America, that terminology probably stuck. But it's actually a different kick. It's got nothing to do. The, the kick's different. It's got a different result. The skill element's different. Um, and and I and this is where we'd say, well, okay, great, no worries. If you want to really know what the skill level's like, then. You give, I'll give you my best Aussie rules kicker, and you give me your best quarterback, and let's go toe to toe. You throw the ball to your wide receiver, and I'll get my best kicker to to kick the ball. And I and I wouldn't be surprised if it comes out square. And you'd be like, right, okay. And that's the probably the level of where we see it. But if you just say, oh, that's just a rugby kick, then I think you're I think you're diminishing the um, you know, the effectiveness of, or the the skill or the talent or the the work that goes into being able to be skillful in, um, you know, in in the skill itself, if that makes any sense. Yes,
0: there's definitely a disconnect. I think the the average American punter, not everybody, but in general, there's, there's like, there's a stereotype of, oh, you you know, it doesn't require any skill, just drop the nose down and hit the, you know, hit the snot out of it and it'll get a backspin. Um, yeah. yeah, there's a, there's a lot more skill to it than I think a lot of people give the Aussie yeah. rules football guys credit for what, what, what do, you do you see like as that? two or three of the the bigger challenges for your students when they first transition over to the U S in a college setting? Do you find that there's a, do you find like, what are those potential, uh, barriers or or things they need to get adjusted to and then how do you guys
1: prepare them for that um we'd like to think that we prepare them as much as we can um obviously um in a number of areas we can't there's nothing like the shock of turning up to 100 new uh, teammates uh, yeah, 30 new coaches, and the the sound of the horn, and the training, and the running, and the the I guess the atmosphere of college football is nothing like it here in Australia. So, as much as we tell them what to prepare for, we're not sure that they can actually um, digest it. And it's it's like here's I guess here's the here's an example. I watch. I watch a show called Ice Road Truckers. <laughs> I watch a show called Love That Show. You know, the, 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 King, the King Crab Getters, the ones that go off out of Alaska or wherever and they get the King Crab. And they talk about how cold it is at minus 20 degrees and minus 30, and it's this and that. And you go, Oh, that's, oh, I know that's cold. Oh, geez, that's got to be cold. And as much as I can think that it's cold, I have no idea at how cold it is until I step foot into minus 20 and minus 30 and go, wow, that's absolutely nothing like I thought it would be. So I, I think there's, there's certain parts of what we do which we can, we can help them and guide them, but there's still every single moment that they've never, they've never got a personal connection with that then has to happen to come out. Um, for them to to digest it and then move on and go, ah, right, okay, that's what he was talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, I'd love to play football in front of 100,000 people. Yeah? No doubt you would because you watch it on TV in your lounge room and it looks exciting and you can go to the fridge and get yourself a, a soda any time you want. But if you're there and the atmosphere and the adrenaline is pumping through your body, it's totally different. So... um. I think we, again, I think we would like to think we do a pretty good job, but there's certainly things that we just can't mimic. Uh, um, we can get we can get as close as we'd like to think we can, but until you go through it, there's, there's those four or five things that just will just blow your socks off um, the first time you step into the arena.
0: Yeah, I think that it's very, there's a, a coach I was friends with a couple of years ago and he's, uh, he coached up at Boston College and he was saying we can evaluate kickers, punters, players all day long, but you're, there's just no way to mimic Clemson. You know, how do you mimic a hundred thousand people? You just don't know what the kid's going to do until, until you put them out there. Um, which I think comes to the next question. How do you coach confidence in your players? And one of the things that I notice anytime I've, Senior your training videos or we've talked in the past or is that you guys are huge on competition you have a group of guys they're all they all have the common goal they're all pushing each other how do you define competition coach and then i guess what is your philosophy of competition um well
1: we like to we like to Here's, here's, where we, here's where we go about. Uh, look, I think there's a real mix of what we do from a, the, the business side of things, the, um, whether it's the placement of the player um, to get the outcome. Um, we want guys to compete. There's always someone better. There's always someone with a bigger kick. There's always someone having a better day than you. There's always someone who's got more clarity in their life. Is who comes to training with nothing to worry about. There's always someone else who seems to have things going well, not injured. So what we try and do is we try and create the environment of... And, and it comes from what coaches might say and, and what we get back from our players in America to come back and say, hey, this is what the coaches expect. The coaches expect you to do your job. So with our um, with our coaching, Johnny and I's coaching is, we give them. Um, it's not necessary. We don't really give them that many pats on the back, because once they get to a level of kicking well, well, great, well done. But that's the expectation. Thank you. Now keep it up. So if you want me to pat you on the back every time you kick a good ball. <laughs> You're not going to get that in America. If you kick a good ball, you just walk off the field. And you might get a high five from a couple of guys, but then it's on to the next one. And you can go from having the best kick of your career to the worst or within the space of four minutes. And so our, I guess the way we try and prepare them is just move on to the next kick. Don't get ahead of yourself. Don't look back just the next one's the most important kick and uh, we feel like Johnny and I, Johnny and I both feel like we have to, what we call role play, we have to role play like a coach and we get many stories of good, you know, from the guys in the States who kick well or kick poorly and then we always ask them give us that experience, give us what happened what the coach say and he goes, oh I kicked the best kick, coach didn't even look at me and it's sort of it can be deflating in a way, but right. that's the expectation. So what we try and do is we try and we try and create havoc. We try and create confusion. We try and create, um, I guess, instances where the player might be looking for some type of feedback, but doesn't get it. And then they have to move on and deliver another kick because it's expected. And as soon as, and, and if we can, if we can create that, then they're going to be so much more better prepared when they do something well in America and they don't get a response that they don't then spend, spend three or four days or a week going, hang on, I just had a really good game and no one come and gave me some love. So, <laughs> you know, we, we sort of, we make it hard for them in a sense and go, well, great. Well, if you want, if you want the opportunity to get your degree and if you want the opportunity to play in front of 20, 30, 50, 80, 100,000 people, these are the expectations you'll get from the US teammates, from your US coaching staff, and from the fan base. Now, if you kick a good one, yeah, it'll sound like everyone's clapping. If you kick a bad one, don't go and check your Twitter, (laughs) because you're going to have plenty of messages saying how you're stuffed up. And so... We've got to really make sure that they're mentally prepared for the good or the bad, and it just becomes white noise. And so the competition side of it is don't think you're going okay because as a punter and as a kicker, it can turn really quickly and it can turn it can turn uh, for the bad. You can turn, you can You can just all of a sudden play three games in a row where every kick's 44 yards into a breeze, crosswind. And your good season has just come unstuck because all of a sudden you've just been in a situation where you've, you've slightly missed three kicks to the left. Or you can be a punter where it just seems like, oh, I'm just having a run of games and it's windy and I'm always kicking into the wind. And my yardage has gone from a 44-yard average down to all of a sudden I have three kicks open field into the breeze and then I'll get two going in kicks where I've got to kick at 30 yards. So, it, it, but it can also turn for the better really quickly within a kick or two. And all of a sudden your your confidence is up and your adrenaline's up and all of a sudden you feel good about yourself. So we're, we're forever just trying to make sure that they are aware not to get too far ahead of themselves And if you think you're going okay, we'll create the environment, just like a game, where it can come unstuck really quickly. And that might be, and we've got this great term back here. What are you, and this is what Johnny and I say all the time, you know, new students come into our program and there'll be something, there'll be something that sort of makes us feel like we've got to reconnect with this. And we say, okay, what are you going to do when the very first game you've got is against Alabama? And you're at the back of the end zone. And it's your very first kick of college football. And people sort of giggle about it. And they go, oh, you know, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Well, we've had it happen three, four times. So it can happen. And so what we do is we then create that environment. And we make sure that we look for the player who's not wanting to look us in the eye. Because <laughs> they're like, oh, don't look at me. I don't know what to do. And we then, we then literally drag them out and say, right, oh, well, here's a brand new ball. It's a V1. Um, I'm going to throw, yep, throw it at you yep, we're going to throw it at you and you've got to do what you're going to do right now into the breeze and they kick it 23 yards and I go okay, we good now do you understand now you've got to put 100,000 people on top of that who might boo you to hop off and you're going to cop 1,000 tweets tell you that you're no good and then your mother who reads your tweets and your and your dad and your brothers get on to defend you and all of a sudden they're worried about you because you're back here and, and some people have said some not very nice things about you. So that competition, that there's always something that can bring you unstuck. We're trying to make them feel aware of, hey, you need to work so hard at your craft that this doesn't happen. And it's going to happen, and it's going to happen a few times. So it's, again, it's the old, it's not not if it's going to happen, it's when and how much. And And then that's where we've, we're trying to build them stronger in that sense. Um, and if we find, and I'll, this, I might be jumping ahead a little bit, but if we find if we find that um, from a training perspective over three, six, 12 months, that this is, uh, it's, not, it's not really, I'm not going to say it's a shortcoming. That's not the right word. But if this is an area where you need more help with about being able to overcome that, it is a it is so against Johnny and I to put you at a posi- in a position where that will happen
0: can you okay? talk about if you,
1: can, if you that, can't handle it
0: can you talk a because we've we've talked about this in the past a little bit and in the at least in the u s that high school to college pipeline is a real murky place sometimes because there are whether it's Quarterbacks, wide receivers, or kicking and punting, there are these private coaches. There are these ranking camps, or they call them seven on seven camps for the quarterbacks and wide receivers. And the college coaches in the United States have been burned in some cases by a private coach that they trusted, giving them a recommendation for a player to play at their school that had no business being there. And what's really going on with the private coaching industry is there is a, you have kind of two objectives that are almost in opposition to each other. Sometimes there's an economic perspective where, okay, the private coach is trying to make a living. So obviously pay, uh, players pay him or whatever to train, But then also too, they go to that coach because of their relationships with various college recruiters. And so there's oftentimes there can be a situation where you may have a player who is not at the level that a division one school needs them to be at, but that player is recommended anyway to that school because that player paid more money, so to speak, and the question kind of becomes who is your allegiance to, is your allegiance to the economics or is your allegiance to the job security of the college football coach? Can you talk a little bit about what that evaluation process is like for your operation?
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, we've got a We've got a good saying here. Be careful what you wish for, because you might wish that you want to go and play in, in the SEC or the or the Big Twelve or the you know any anything in the power five or the Big Five doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where there is pressure everywhere you go. And so if you don't know anything about what it's like to be in that environment, be very careful be very careful what you wish for. Because there are some players who shouldn't Shouldn't's not the right word. They're probably not up to they're probably not up to the expectation of the coach. And if the expectation's not delivered, the the it's not stress. The advice, that's not even the right word. The way a coach deals with that and what the way the players deal with that and way the fans deal with it is not going to be conducive to you being very confident about yourself. And if you're not confident about yourself, you're not going to be able to perform. And if you can't perform, the pressure builds. So we keep saying, be careful what you ask for. We get plenty of our students who tell us, yeah, I want to play for this team. I want to play in the Power 5. Give me something in the pack 12 And we're like, no, you're not. that's not where you're at. We need a win-win-win scenario. We need a win For the student, the student needs to be able to go and get his degree and he needs to enjoy and thrive at his football. If he thrives and does all that, then his coach wins. And if he wins and the coach wins, we win. Why? Because the coach then says, can I I have another one? Someone who does and displays the work ethic, the confidence, um, and everything that goes with being able to perform on game day. So if you send... If, if you send, it is absolutely uh, uh, it is one of the worst things for a coach to be able to send someone underprepared into an environment that's going to put too much stress and pressure on the young man who, that he may not be able to um, put up with and then put him in an environment to then cop the, you know, the abuse that might come from either coaches or the fans. And that's not good. And if that's affected, then the schoolwork's affected. And if the schoolwork's affected and the football's affected, why should someone leave their state, their hometown, to go and chase this stream, to go in an environment where all of a sudden they don't want to play football any longer? And this is the way we say it. And and even though our students may not recognise that and they think they want what they want, we, Johnny and I, have to basically say, no, no, You just need to trust us. Your family needs to trust us. This is not the environment you need to be in. Why? Because we've got to look through our training methods to see whether when... And Johnny and I yell at our our students all the time. Why? Because we've got to put them in uncomfortable situations. And if they come through that and go, give me the ball, I want it again because I want to prove myself, great, we know they can handle some pressure. If they don't want the ball and then we see them out the corner of our eye at the, the back of the pack and they, they, get, they sort of shrink a little bit, we know that we can't put them in an environment where it's, it's going to be Alabama versus Ohio State or Clemson. Why? Because there will, be, there will come a time where they'll have a game or two where the pressure mounts and if the pressure mounts and you have to withdraw, right? then that's not a, that's not a conducive environment to be better. So. We've got to we've got to watch for that, and then we've got to make our assumption or our, our call on. Yeah, you know, I mean, if we're talking to a, a college and they they give us their requirement of what they look for, we take all of that into consideration because this is not a statistic for us. This is not oh great we've just got a we've just got a school and it's another one to add to our list. Absolutely no way is that the way we see it. We see this, this is so much so based on the coach getting what he needs because it's his job and that's how he feeds his family. And he needs to make sure if he's going to put the trust in us to give him someone that he's never met and never seen uh, and has never played a game before, you want to be, you want to absolutely know deep down in our heart, Johnny and I fully understand the amount of trust that he's given us. And therefore it's our recommendation that this young man is going to do the job required to keep your job so that you can feed your family. And if we do that, then the students in an environment where he's, know, we know that he's going to be able to perform. And if he does that then he enjoys it, the coach enjoys it. And then everyone gets a win out of it. But these, if it's a ranking camp and they say, yeah, pay me more money and I'll give you an extra star. Absolutely disgusting from the from the you know the way it's been run for for many many years because here's my ranking list here coach you choose however you want why because if they choose whoever they want guess what it's the coach's fault mm. right it'll always come back to the coach oh well he kicked really well at our camp heck i can play around a of golf where uh, you know again i'm i'm an okay golfer and i might shoot 10 over. No worries. And if I play around and someone sees me and goes, "She he shot 10 over. He's a really good golfer. But I'll, I'll tell you, the next day I'm shooting 24 over. <laughs> and it, Everyone can have a good day. And the coaching and the, the kicking camps that they have on campus, great. Yep. No worries. It, it might show someone performing. But if that one kid goes to 25 different camps, he's probably going to have a good day. Which one's it at? Now, if he has a good day at a big college, which is above where the level he needs to be, that puts so much pressure on the young man. And, um, you know, if, the, if, the, if that's backed up by him going to a, a, kicking, a kicking coach who then says, pay me more money and I'll give you an extra star and then he gets chosen, that's just unfair. That's unfair and it's, it's not, that's not right. That's not right for the pressure that's going to be mounted on that kid in a year's time in 2 years time if he's not performing because it's mm-hmm. it's he may not he may deserve to be there but he also may not and i think we we're, we're just trying to reduce that risk in that sense to make sure that the, the young man can move to the other side of the world remember be away from his family be away from his network and so when things aren't going aren't going well we need to know that he can be mentally okay to be able to deal with it right yeah, I
0: think it's um, it's it's very interesting to see how that's navigated with different positions. Like there, there's quarterback development camps and stuff like that, and uh, it just seems like for whatever reason, kicking, punting, snapping has this struggle struggle with objective evaluation because most coaches have this mindset of. I'm not sure what I want, but I'll know it when I see it. Um, What I think is interesting with having players come from Australia to the U.S. and, and what you guys do is there's two tensions. There's the fact that football is about competition. All sport is about competition. Let the best player win. And then at the same time, there is this debate Saying, or rather, a stereotype that Australian football players are quote taking American punting positions, and so what I'm curious, people are trying to have it both ways. They're trying to talk about, okay, we football is supposed to be this great equalizer, everybody's equal, everybody has a chance to compete, but then at the same time, oh, we should have an age limit we shouldn't have as many players coming over from australia could you talk about your take on
1: that debate yeah um, <laughs> we get obviously we get thrown into it we're taking the scholarships a lot of our, a lot of the, a lot of the better punters we've got are 17 and 18 um We've, yeah, absolutely. There's some older guys. You can't stop somebody from getting educated. Uh, Josh Van, what's his name? The guy from LSU, Josh Van Ruin, R- Rosenberg. What's his name? Uh, what's the, the punter there at LSU this year? Oh, I know he had um, a good year. I forget his yeah. name. He's 27. Okay. No dramas. That's okay. No one, it's okay if it's an American, but it's not if it's an international player. Um, what people probably don't understand is there's, there's a half dozen, there might be a dozen players who have been through our, our system who are older. Um, the, the, when they're growing up in Australia, the pressure, we get drafted into Australian rules football professionally here at 17, 18 years of age. Okay? Everyone. And, and trust me, no one grows up at 7, 9, 10, 12, 13 wanting to be punters in America. They all want to play the Australian game, AFL. And they want to get drafted. And it's not like American, an American contract where if you get drafted, or sorry, if you don't get drafted, that's fine. You can sign a free agent contract. No, you either get drafted or you don't play professionally. So, And if, you, if you've got a two-year contract in AFL, You've got a two-year contract, and that's just the way it is. There's no, we have you today, see you tomorrow, and get rid of you. Um, So if you're okay as a 13-year-old, 14-year-old, 15-year-old, and you're playing good Australian rules football, you've got to keep up that schoolwork. You've got to keep up your training so that you can be in the window at 17 and 18 years of age to get drafted because that's everything you've ever dreamed of so a lot of the a lot of the time the guys put so much energy and effort and into into that they don't come to us until they're 18 19 years of age until they can't basically don't get uh, find out that they, they they're never going to get drafted and play professionally so what happens is over there uh, you know they sophomore, junior, and senior years in high school, the, the workload for them to be able to do what they need sporting-wise and academically take a hit. The academic side takes a big hit. So when when, they come, when what happens is once they realise they're not going to be drafted, they then go, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to play in a local competition here in Australia? which sometimes they get paid to do great. No worries. They can, they can get some money to play Aussie rules football. Remember they've never kicked an American football before. They're not, it's not even in their psyche to do so. They've put all of their energies into playing Australian rules football professionally, just like American football, you know, that, that 0.02% ever make it. And of that 2% of that make it, you know, one year and, 0.002 whatever the hell it is makes it for, for three years um the numbers are really low and so when what happens is so then they go well i've given so much away of my academic side of things to chase the australian rules football professional dream they then come to us and we say well you've never kicked a ball before um you haven't been, you're, you're academically eligible versus what you've studied. This is your GPA. You may have done a year of uni. You may have done two years of uni. You come and see us. We do that evaluation of about, well, if you want to train with us, yes, you can probably do it from an ability point of view. This is what your academics look like. Um, if you want to get a degree, and this, and I will, I, will, I will say it very, very firmly, our program is about getting guys degrees and making sure that um, they get their academics sorted. This is not a short cut to the NFL. No way. And 98% of our players who have gone across have all got their degrees from it. So it's a very big focus point for it. But when they come to us, after they can't get drafted to Australia anymore, and then they find out what their academics are, we then tell them it's a 12 to 14 month process to work on their skills. So that they can be consistent and confident, and have the um, the skill base down, so that they can perform. So, if you if you tie that in with if you tie that in with the being able to enrol at university in either January or you know July August, someone might come to us at 18 years of age, has never kicked a football before. They think about joining us. We then train them for, for twelve plus months to make sure that their skill acquisition is at a competitive level. And let's say, let's say that that's a September. They come to us in September. Well, they're certainly not going by the July next year, or, or rarely it sometimes happens. Then all of a sudden, it might be the following January they are allowed to go. So they're they're eighteen now. They're nineteen. They're 19 and a half, they get over there at 20, and all of a sudden, you know, they can't go. The school says, No, oh, we don't want him in January, we'll take him in July. They've been training with us for 12, 16 months, and then all of a sudden they're 20, and we might get the same thing at 21. Yeah, so, so all of a sudden, we've been training them for X amount of time, then they get over there, and then people say, Oh, they're 25, and they're 26, and they're 27. It's like, there's a lot, so much that goes into it and the ones that get complained about are a handful of guys who want to get their life back on track and get educated and every one of those guys who are older have been educated and have sacrificed so, so much in the Australian format and what they did as juniors to get through this process. Why, why should we deny that? And, and if the NCAA changed the rule, then we'd comply to it. But right now, if you hadn't been to college and um, you're eligible to go, and you again we make sure that they get their degree, then okay, so be it. But and the, but the funny thing is, our seven we've got 17-year-old guys who kick bigger than our 24-year-olds. So is it an ability thing, or is it an age thing, or is it just that the Fab Four? Yeah the guys who really want to complain about it um it's because we're upsetting their business model their their business model background
0: i think that's a kind of a timeless <laughs> debate you know we the in the us we love you know we we're obsessed with sports and the land of opportunity but then the next question becomes opportunity for whom and under what circumstances um and i think a lot of it, it it takes a lot, little bit more effort to go past 140 characters on a Twitter post to understand where guys yeah. are actually coming from.
1: Um, yeah. And I appreciate and, you. And there have been that. some quarterbacks who'd done it, right? Who'd come from yeah. other sports, who'd come um, from baseball.
0: Whedon, so right, it's okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, Brandon Whedon. And I think – He's like um, 29? Yeah, and wasn't uh, – did Russell Wilson also do a bit of baseball?
0: Yeah. But, so, it's, it's funny. I was just talking to a, a – guy today he's a, a u.s marine corps pilot he's like 28 29 and he's trying to go back to college and you know like it's uh, it happens a lot but i feel like because of potentially the success of, of what you guys have done obviously you have a little bit more of a spotlight on you um yeah,
1: yeah. and uh, i mean and this is the thing it's we are kicking a ball but we're not a we're not a 27 year old Three hundred and fifty pound man lineman physically contacting you know what i mean it's not it's not a physical contact thing where it's a man against a child, but we' are kicking a ball yeah there's a there's a you know the but again i I would absolutely love any of these kicking coaches to come across and watch under seventeen under eighteen grade football here in Australia and go oh okay <laughs> yeah I, I get it i, I see it this well, it's is in your, it's in is, your blood the, the, yeah but the the age is not the age is not the issue again it's if we said if we said hey give me every one of our the best 17 year old kickers in Australia and put them all on a field and said let's go they would <laughs> they would probably outblow Every one of their 23-year-olds. And so for us, it's not the age. It's just the pure ability. And if the the guy who's at whatever age comes to see us is 17, great. If he's 21, so what? That doesn't matter. To us, it's not the age. It's the opportunity they're chasing. And if they're prepared to go across to the other side of the world and do X amount of work and get their degree and do all the sacrifice along with it, well, uh, and the rules say that we can Well, then what are you complaining about? And I've said this before, before, and we've had it done, and we've had it done. What's stopping? And here's the thing. We forego. Sometimes our guys have only got two years of eligibility. Sometimes they've got one. Sometimes they've got three, and sometimes they've got the full five. There's nothing stopping an American. Let me say it. I'll say it right now. There's nothing stopping a young kid coming out of college, uh, out of high school. Spending a year getting his body in shape, his mind right, and working on his mechanics for a year. I know mean, you get a year off. I'm pretty sure you get a year off, and then your time clock might start. Well, guess what? What if you did that for a second year and got fitter and stronger and worked at your mechanics? What if you were prepared to forego your fifth year of eligibility so you were a straight four-for-four four guy? and you'd spent two years out of high school working, working on your craft, working on your body, working on your mind for two years, and then went back into the recruiting model, stronger, fitter, better, and went in there as a 20-year-old. Are you going to complain then? So it's, it's that mindset that you have got to go straight from high school through your recruiting cycle and then into college, and if it doesn't work, woe well, is me. What am I going to do? No. That's exactly what we do. They come out, we've got guys, we train guys in high school, we train guys who work, we train guys who are at university and we train guys who have to travel three hours just to get the training. And they've all got to sacrifice what it is to get to do this program for as long as it takes for them to get better, to have the right academics, to have the right skill level, to then be recruited, to then pack up their house, leave their family, leave their home sometimes leave their girlfriends, sometimes leave whatever to move to the other side of the world for the unknown to then be judged about how they kick a ball. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: There's plenty of sacrifice that goes along with it. So if you want to complain, you know, well.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, there's, there's so much more to it than, than a lot of people understand. And I think what's very apparent when I talk to guys like you and Johnny, is that you're very close with the guys you work with and coaching is technique, but it's also relationships. It's also mentorship. When you look back, and this is our our last question, when you look back, you know, a hundred years from now, on all the guys that you worked with and trained and developed, we know most of them aren't going to the NFL. Just statistically, it just, it's really, really hard. Um, What is the one thing you would want them to take away from your time
1: training them beyond football. Um, We want to, I think if there's anything that we tell any of our guys is learn how to network from day one. Learn how to, look, if you've got good character and you just smile and say hello and ask questions and it's not about just a question about I'm waiting for you to ask me a question about me. It's like, hey, how are you going? What do you do? If you learn that, you'll enjoy your Whatever journey you're on, however long it goes for, you'll enjoy it so much more. Um, It's frustrating for us when sometimes guys leave it until their senior year to go, oh, I've got to get this internship and I've got to do this and yeah, I should have done that. You're going to be on the other side of the world. Smile, say hello to everyone. Um, You've been invited into the country. You're allowed to study into the country. You're doing an amazing, you're on an amazing journey. You're going to meet all your new teammates. You're going to watch some of them go to the NFL. You're going to be really proud of them. You're going to meet some amazing coaches. You might have three different coaches. But if you network and your character's good, and that's a a big thing that we do about our program is we've got to make sure that you've got good character, then your journey can be whatever it is. And the journey might not just be about the football. It might be about the job you get from networking five years after you leave college about what what it leads to and who you met and that that one time that you gave that guy a lift home from training because his car broke down that meant that you become a friend somewhere and then all of a sudden and down the track it'll come back and that and that, i think that's one of the big things we the football is just a part of the journey, and it'll come and go. And there'll be some lucky ones who go onto the NFL, and they might go for one year, and they might go for five, and and more. But if they've got good character, then it's it's again, it's a real it's a real um, that part of the journey will, I guess, shine through in the in the way they go about their business. But if you if you go over there and you shy away and you don't talk to anyone, you'll go over. It'll finish really quick. You'll come home and everything will be quiet. And you sort of think, well, what do I really get out of it? So we want them to get, A, their degree, enjoy, um, have good character so that the coaches say, hey, you know what, we had an Aussie on our team, and we, we thought he was great. He was a great teammate, and he was a great leader. And I think that's, that's sort of one thing we're trying to instill in our players to say, hey, go over there with that determination. or to be better and like you say and make the game better than the way you left it and that's probably you know refers right back to that that first question um i'm being able to do that because uh, you know nothing better than coming back and enjoying the you know the four or five years you might have been able to be over there and um and meet the people you will meet
0: thanks for listening to the coach cahill podcast If you liked what you heard, please feel free to share it on any social media platform or leave a review on Apple iTunes. It really helps a lot with spreading the word, and thanks for your time.